0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Ludi. All right, well, welcome everyone to uh, the Wednesday edition of Daily Thunder. Oh, it's gorgeous uh, in Colorado this morning. I tell you what, I love this time of year. Let's just uh, pray and celebrate what God has in store even before it happens. Father, uh, we are so grateful to you for the gift of Jesus, and we are so thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes because of the shed blood of Christ. We thank you for the access that we have under your throne of grace. We thank you for the mercy that is new every morning. We thank you that we could walk uh, intimately with you and that you have restored unto us uh, this original pattern, uh, Lord of closeness with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that we could be glory bearers and these bodies could be the dwelling place of the Most High God. Lord, we just want to bask in the realities, the profundity, the beauty of uh, your work today. Lord, I pray that you would instruct us and train us, uh, that we would go deeper and deeper in our understanding of you, our knowledge of you, and our reflection of you. Lord, we love you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. So, uh, for those of you that are new to Daily Thunder, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays I've been going through a series. Uh, It is called uh, The Glossary of the Gospel. And basically it is a primer, it is a basic study for someone who would be new to the faith so that they would have the foundation stones to be rooted and grounded, to be established well in the kingdom of heaven. And so this is something that most Christians just don't have. It's also good for the older believer to actually understand the process of discipleship and the key elements that are needed for healthy discipleship. So actually, it's sort of a well-rounded, all-purpose uh, series. And so this is episode 12 uh, in the process. And so uh, if, if you've missed the first 11, it doesn't mean that you're excluded from this one or that you can't listen to it. It just means that there's a lot of good stuff that you uh, can dig into the archives uh, to get. So uh, this one is called The Battle of the Mind. And I tell you what, uh, when it comes to the essence of what makes Christianity work, you know, just functionally, there's certain points, certain things that you would look at and say, well, yeah, but you don't want to overlook this. And this is a key tool. Like there's certain big themes that if you don't get, the whole thing doesn't work. But once you start getting the big stuff, you start getting faith, you start getting grace activated, then this is a key functionality in the mechanism of healthy Christianity, how the mind goes, so goes the rest of the body. And so when we recognize that this body is uh, a very active uh, thing, it, doesn't, it just doesn't lie dormant, it has appetite to it. And those appetites uh, in our first state before we are born anew... Uh, the appetites control us, and so when we are born again into the kingdom of heaven, it's incredible, but we have the opportunity to now bring these appetites into subjection so that they are bond servants. A lot of us look at our appetites as negative things. In other words, our sexuality, our, uh, our capacity for food and eating, uh, and our uh, capacity for sleep, it's like, boy, these things are ridiculous. If we could just somehow discard these, we would be such great Christians, and yet, the way God created us is with these appetites intact. And he said, it is good. It is very good. In other words, what he designed is on purpose. The problem is the appetites were never supposed to be the lead. They were not supposed to be the emphasis point in our life. And the reason they are that is because our appetites are, have been inflamed by the fact that self was capitalized. So the S in self just got capitalized. We took a throne position in our life and suddenly the appetites gained uh, strength. And so as a result, the key to seeing those appetites demoted is that self must lowercase into a lowercase s position. And as a result, Jesus then is able to move into the capital position. And the body is able to be uh, brought into order. The mind is going to be the key operation of what causes this body to function in order. So we'll go into that. So the key terms, remember this is called the Glossary of the Gospel, so you have to have terms every day, Uh, purity and mind. Those are two words that the Bible will uh, bring up often, Uh, and so it's important that we have a basic understanding of what these are. This is a review of what we covered on Monday, but grace being one of the most significant foundational elements of understanding the functionality of the Christian life because we are saved by grace through faith. So therefore, that becomes very, very important. And it's not just that we're saved when we initially pray a prayer. We could be. You know, that could be the transaction point where we are saved with a capital S. But then we need to be saved in every moment of our life because we are baited. We are constantly targeted in this realm uh, of darkness. We are constantly being harassed by False notions, false ideas, uh, temptations. And so therefore, we need something to be able to win this war in this body. And that is what grace is. So grace is a very active concept. It's the concept of God doing something. And it's, it's actually the concept of God doing something for us that we don't deserve. And so 2,000 years ago, God did something for us that we didn't deserve. He gave us grace. Well, what is that? Well, it's his son. And it's not just his son. It's that his son worked for us. His son suffered. His son died. His son was buried. And his son resurrected. You see, his son went to work and did something that we couldn't do for ourselves. So therefore, that work of God saves us. We are saved by that work or by grace. And so when God works on our behalf, when he does the labor... That is a good understanding of grace. And so when we understand grace, it's not just that God did it, but it's also that God does it. And not just that, but God will always do it. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He will save us to the uttermost. And so that is this idea that when we give ourselves to him, he labors not just in the past, but in the present and the future to always bring about a salvation for us. He saves us by his working, by his grace. So in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith. So if you take the word grace in Ephesians 2.8 and replace it with Jesus, for by Jesus are you saved through faith, it would make sense. And so you see, it's not just Jesus, it's, it's Jesus and what he did. That's why Paul will call it Jesus and him crucified. It is Not just Jesus, but it's the fact that God came and then did something on our behalf. He didn't just show up and say, you guys stink. He said, look, I'm here, but I'm also here to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. And when I do it, if you will trust that this is sufficient for you, you have salvation. So we are saved by grace through faith. On Monday, I talked about the invisible hand. Uh, which just is a great metaphor. I think many of us that have gone through Ellerslie and many Christians throughout the ages have really been impacted by the idea of the hand in glove. It's like sometimes these are difficult things to grip and to really understand in the depths of our being. But when you think about the fact that God is invisible, so if this is an invisible hand standing in front of you and it waves at you, you don't see it. And if it points at you, you don't see it. And if it beckons you to come, and you don't see it, guess what? You did not even see that God waved at you. You didn't see that he was pointing to you, that he had you in mind, and you didn't see that he was calling you. Well, that is terrible. What a travesty. If God, the God of the universe is desirous of you and you don't even know it. And so what he did is he took on the form of a glove. You see, a glove is made in the image of the hand. You see, we were the original work gloves as as, as humans. We were the ones that were meant to allow this invisible hand to enter into us and to animate us. But when we let, when we fell away, when we ate of that fruit from the tree and we died as not just Adam and Eve, but as an entire descendancy, as an entire uh, people, then we lost the, the, the hand. It is no longer inside of us. We're just an empty glove attempting to mimic the invisible hand well that's pathetic i don't care you know how impressive of a calfskin leather you're made of you cannot mimic the invisible hand and so as a result we have attempted as humans to justify ourselves and to come up with our own version of righteousness so it's like well gloves weren't actually intended to do that well we're just you know, we sort of flitter around and 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 move around on the ground and look how impressive we are And God says, that's filthy rags in my sight. Guys, the only thing that will please me is when you come back to the way you were intended to be. You must humble yourself and yield to this hand afresh. But when that hand enters into a glove, it's amazing, but the glove now expresses that which is invisible. So when we see Jesus, we're able to see the invisible hand. So when God waves in and through Jesus, we see it. When God points in and through Jesus, we see it. When God beckons in and through Jesus, we see it. And that which is invisible is now made visible. Jesus becomes the visible representation of the invisible God. It's an extraordinary thing called the mystery of godliness. And that's exactly what we are. We are the gloves that are meant to be inhabited by God Almighty. We are the ones in whom the hand rests so that via the Holy Spirit. That's actually what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is all about. That's what grace is. This hand is the grace of God now working in us to produce a life that this glove in and of itself could never produce. It's extraordinary, profound, beautiful. And so the work glove is built to reveal the invisible hand that does it all. So that was a critical message that we had on Monday, which, you know, the theme and the key glossary term was grace. But what I want you to understand is that grace now needs an outflow. When that hand moves in, there are certain things that it needs to now exercise. It needs to begin to do. And we need to learn how to agree with the hand because we're the glove. And the glove can be rather stiff. You know, if you, uh, I don't know what it would be if you stuck the the glove in some kind of mortar or glue and then took it out. It's like, yeah, it's still a glove, and it could say, hey, come on in. But the hand, you know, is gonna have a tough time getting all the way in. And even when it first gets in and breaks through all the stuff, it's like... Have you ever had one of those gloves It's just sort of, I don't know if it's, I'm trying to think of something that would firm up a glove, you know, but I've had those gloves It's just like, just as firm as anything. You should get in and you're like, and you're trying to move it. That's sort of the way we are as humans is God has moved in, but we're a little stiff. And so God needs to warm us via his Holy Spirit. He needs to sanctify us. He needs to soften us and make us supple to his movements so that when God leads us and he says, go talk to that person. That we're quick to say, sure. As opposed to what we typically do is like, God, I can't talk. I don't know how to talk. You wouldn't want to use me. It's like, we're his chosen vessel. We're gloves that are meant to reveal that which is invisible. And when he's waving, we need to learn to wave. When he's pointing, we need to learn to point. And when he's beckoning, we need to learn to beckon. And that's just part of maturing in the Christian life. When we start, we're not very good at the obedience thing. And just like a little child, I mean, when Hudson uh, was... Uh, what, a few months old, and he started going mobile, dangerous time of life. Uh, Every parent sort of, every parent is like hoping their child will be normal, so they're always very excited when they start crawling. And then at the same time, you're like, oh no, this is a disaster. Now they can go anywhere. And so you you stick those little things over the the sockets, you know, in the wall, the lights, I'm sorry, the the power outlets, and you you stick that in. And it's amazing, but a child will go straight to what they're not supposed to go to. It's like, "Don't, no, don't touch the power outlets. And then what is Hudson going after? He's like messing with those little things, trying to shock himself. What's the deal with that? That's the way many of us uh, have a tendency to be. Uh, And so uh, God has to warm us. He has to teach us obedience. He has to teach us dependency. And it's a beautiful process. It really is. It's called maturing in the faith. So what I want to talk about today, remember our two glossary terms were purity and mind. And this mind, this word is uh, typically in the Greek, it's freneo. And it's almost like you could define it as a set of glasses. It's the way in which you engage uh, in your thought life, in your attitude. So sometimes it could be translated attitude. It could be uh, paradigm. There's various things, but it's the, the framework in which you see life. But there is a very real process in which we actually interact with the world around us. And if you have a darkened mind, if you have an earthly mind, it really sullies everything else that God is trying to do. When you have a heavenly mind, or what we'll call the mind of Christ, the mind of the anointed Messiah, Jesus, where we could actually have his thoughts, his perspective, the way he would reason through something like, well, how would you have that? Well, that's the gift of God, to us. When we become the body of Christ, we're not just his hands and his feet. We're not just his heart. We're not just his mouthpiece. We also bear likeness in our thinking processes, in the way we look at things, in the way we ascertain things, in the way we discern things. We have the mind of Christ. It's an incredible thought. I've uh, oftentimes thought about this and I've I've applied it probably in ways that it maybe wasn't intended uh, to, but I remember when I was in school. Uh, I was always one of those guys that I got decent grades, but I had buddies that were like valedictorian. So it always made me feel a little lesser. Like this one guy I had in my life, Brian, the guy I didn't even need to study. He just, everything he read, he remembered. I mean, it was the, the biggest cheater you've ever seen. He wasn't cheating, but that's the way I felt. It's like, hey, that's unfair in life, God that Brian has this photographic memory, and he, he even knows where in the book it is, oh, it's page 42, and he can tell you where on the page it is, and he can quote it. It's like, what? That is ridiculous. It takes me hours to study this stuff, and then Brian still gets a higher grade than me after I spend hours. And so you have to recognize my, persp- my perspective, and it was my comparison with Brian. I had a few other buddies that, I, I don't know what, I hung out with the, uh, obviously a very smart crowd here, and I, I didn't feel very smart. And I remember that really bothered me at a certain point in life because when I was in junior high, I sabotaged my intelligence because I didn't want to be intelligent. I know it sounds funny. But I was so far ahead in spelling above everyone. I was like level 21, and everyone else was like level 3 or 4. There was one other girl that was like up there in the 18s. I was like this bizarre prodigy when it came to spelling and I didn't like that at all. So everyone sort of made fun of me because I was uh, good at spelling. I didn't want to be good at spelling. And so I actually started answering things wrong so I could feel normal. So you have to realize that happened in, I usually call it capsizing my intelligence. Then when I got to high school, I wanted to be smart again. (laughs) And so I, I entered into this season where I recognized that Okay, I have, a, I have a decent mind, okay? I'm not gonna complain about the mind I got. You know, we could all look at the way we got dealt something in life and we could complain about it or we could say I have this nose or I have these ears, you know? And with my mind, it's like, okay, I have a decent mind, but there are minds that are so superior to mine. Mine, I have to work so hard. I have to work so hard to hold on to things. I have to work so hard to focus on things. Other people, it's just like, they seem like it just comes easier to them. So I remember having the thought, (coughs) if I have the mind of Christ, wait a minute, this is like better than Brian's mind. Uh, what, what What would the potential of that be? I remember one day, I used to always struggle with what we could call a fog. And so there were certain times I would just have a fog and I couldn't think straight. I mean, I could think in normal ways. If I'm doing normal tasks, I could get it. But if it ever came to like, thinking big, every now and then the fog would clear. It's like, I see, and I would tell Leslie, get out your notebook, uh, let's, I have some thoughts. And she knew what I meant by that. It's like, oh, Eric's sharp right now. And then there came a time when I finally just said, wait a minute, I don't accept the fog anymore. I have the mind of Christ. I mean, literally, this is what I said. And I didn't accept the fog anymore, and the fog left. I used to, I lived with that fog from a young age all the way up to my early 20s. And then one day I just said, no, I have the mind of Christ. I want to have the sharpness and the clarity of the mind of Christ. Okay, so you guys could try that if you want. But it was a very profound thing. So like I said, whether or not that's what God intended with this, it's like, hey, I want this hand to behave as Christ's hand would behave. I want these feet to behave as Christ's feet would behave. I want this mouth to speak as Christ would speak. So I want this mind to function as Christ's mind would function. I have a hunch he didn't have a fog. So as a result, no fog. No fog. I resist the fog. Yeah, that's what I did. All right, so here's the mind that I'm going to introduce to you. I'm going to introduce you to three quadrants of the mind, okay? So we have, if you're listening via podcast, I have three blocks on the screen. And so I'm going to start with the far right block, okay? They're yellow, which I don't know why I picked yellow. I, I actually did ponder, and I changed it to blue, and I changed it to red, and I was saying, I don't know, I'll just change it back to yellow, so <clears throat> there's no significance to yellow other than I didn't I wanted it to stand out in contrast to the background somewhat. And so this first block on the far on your right, okay? It's my left, but your right. I'm going to say is the entry point. It's it's the suggestions, okay? There's this middle one which is where all of us are at right now. It's the active thoughts. This is what you're thinking right now. And then in the far, which is your left, is Oh, I need to move move closer. So Nathan's saying I'm going out of the screen, so I'll I'll try and make my blocks a little closer here. Uh, But on the far left, am I in the screen now? Okay. Then uh, this is going to be your storehouse. Okay, this is all your images that you've seen in the past, all your thoughts, your belief system is here things you've studied, you know, if you studied math, you know, you have some data here that you draw on, okay? You're not actually thinking about your math data right now in your active thoughts. Hopefully, you're thinking about what I'm talking to you about, okay? And so, this is what is currently in your mind, but there are things that can be suggested to your mind that come in from over here, and so, that's what I want to walk through real quick. So, suggestions on the far right, active thoughts, and then storehouse, okay? So, this is how the function of this thing known as the mind works. And how the mind goes defines how the rest of the body goes. So as a Christian, we want to know how to keep the mind. Christ has given us access to his version of holding a mind and having a mind, processing in a mind. However, many of us default to our old version of using a mind, okay? So I'm going to introduce you to what we'll call the all-important door. Now, that is between the suggestions on the far right and the active thoughts in the middle. And that door, for many of us, is oftentimes left open or unlocked. And there is our problem right there. You see, there's going to be all sorts of nonsense that is going to be suggested to your mind, okay? Now, what are some different things that can be suggested to our mind? Like, where are these different sources that suggestions could come from. Uh, the devil is one of them, okay? He loves to suggest thoughts to us. You know that there are also people on this earth that the devil gets inside, and they have a tendency to love to make suggestions and input into our life as well? Like for instance, television, movies. You see, these are things that can create suggestion, images, and different things that want to enter into our active thoughts, okay? We cannot just have an open door. When you have an open door, all sorts of nonsense comes cascading in. And when nonsense, dirty stuff, junk and dark stuff comes into the active thoughts, you know that it doesn't just uh, mess up your active thoughts, but it enters your storehouse. It's like poison into your pantry. And if if you have poison getting into your food source, what happens? Everything in your life begins to break down, and that's exactly right. You see, if your mind has an open door to the stuff of the enemy, did you know that it actually pollutes and messes up and destroys your entire life? So, how the mind goes, so goes the rest of the body. But think about that from the positive side. What if the right thoughts are being cultivated in your active thoughts? What if what you are thinking upon is what God would have you think upon? You know that He actually tells us what to think upon? He says, Think on these things. It's in the end of Philippians, it's pretty profound. And if we are thinking about the things that God wants us to think about, you know what happens? We begin to build a storehouse that actually is strong. You ever heard of the word discernment? Discernment is when something comes to the door of your mind, a suggestion, and then you have your sniffer dog. You ever seen a sniffer dog? They're like a golden. I'm sorry, a golden. Uh, what's that? What kind of dog is that? Uh, German Shepherd, a German shepherd's like <sniffs> he's like, hey, you know baring his teeth, but why? Because he senses he's sniffing something wrong. He goes through the airport at, in Denver and every now and then they'll rotate through and they 'll have a sniffing dog that will just sort of rotate in and out. You just sort of feel like you're probably carrying something that he's going to catch. I mean it's like, what did I pack today I mean I'm really glad those guys are trained well because there could be nothing worse than having the dog start barking at you and grabbing your bag you're like, Oh no but The the thing that we need to have in our life is discernment. That's a sniffer dog. How do we train the dog from what's in our storehouse? You see, if you are building the word of God in your storehouse, then you can bring that word to bear against those thoughts that are trying to come in. You sniff them. Does that match with what God says? If it doesn't match, then guess what? You grit your, you grr, you grit those teeth and you say, no, you're not coming in here, okay? And that's how we function as Christians. When God knocks with a suggestion and a thought, what do we do? We still test it. Did you know that we're even supposed to test what Paul would preach? The Bereans were considered more noble than those in Thessalonica because they tested even what Paul was preaching. Even if an angel comes to you, but if he preaches a different gospel than Paul taught and what the word of God speaks, you're supposed to reject that. In other words, we need the word of God in our storehouse to train our sniffer dog to smell and to sniff away so that what is coming into our house matches the kingdom of heaven. And so that's part of the growth of a believer is we need to begin to build a storehouse. So in our storehouse, when we start as a Christian, we have some, some junk in there, okay? Many of you could testify to the fact that you got some junk in your storehouse. There's things you've looked at, there's things you've thought about, there's bad ideas that you've cultivated, And so there's a need for what's called the renewing of the mind, okay? And so with that, every time a new thought comes up, even, maybe we should say it this way, an old thought reemerges. In other words, something that God points his finger at something, it it comes to the suggestion counter again. What you need to do is overwrite this with the truth. So if you had something in your storehouse that is incorrect, allow God to bring that up, almost like it's coming to the door again. Now you handle it properly and you address it with truth. So it's like the, the experience is still there. The, the baggage of your past may still actually be there, but it's no longer baggage, it's actually converted into triumph. Because now God is overriding those things that happened to you or those thoughts you had or those beliefs you had with truth. Okay, the same thing happens in forgiveness. In other words, someone comes up to you and bops you in the nose, okay? and you're offended, and you get upset, and you, you know, hold a grudge against them. The moment you do that, you're opening up your door to all sorts of bad stuff. It's called bitterness and resentment, and it begins to just take over your inner life, turns it all black. But the moment that you forgive, and then you renounce and repent of that bitterness and uh, resentment, you know what happens? that experience of the bopping in the nose, which was very hurtful to you, now becomes a a memory of God's grace at work in your life. So whenever that comes up, no longer is it like, "Eh." but now it's like, thank you, Lord, for how you've taken what the enemy meant for evil and turned it to good. So that's God's ways, is he converts everything. So even if you do allow something in, God can still convert that into a powerful picture of his triumph. But there's no reason to allow things in once you know not to. And so as a result, the key now is to learn to keep the door and to stand guard at that door and to be watchful at that door so what is taking place in your active thoughts is in agreement with God. Many Christians have never been taught that what they are thinking about matters. They only think that what they do matters, which I'm not going to argue that the things you do matter. I'm gonna say, though, that the things you do flow out of what you were thinking. And so as a result, if you want to do things that match God's behavior, think about Jesus. If you meditate on Jesus, the first thing you do when you get up in the morning, what do you think about? That matters. That sets the tone for your entire day. First things really matter. Okay, so when I get out of bed... I think about Jesus. I've done this for years and years of my life. And I'll not just think about Jesus, I'll think about my position in Jesus. And so here's an early morning routine. I get up, okay, and it's like early. I'm like, good morning, Lord. Wow, I'm tired. But you're on the throne. This body is not my own, you purchased it. What you did on that cross is sufficient for me, and I yield myself to you, and I'm moving the whole time. I'm, like, walking. As I'm doing this, I'm looking for my toothbrush. And, Lord, I just want you to know that whatever you desire to do with this body today, you can do. This is like normal wake-up routine for Eric Ludi. I'm getting my active thoughts in gear with the kingdom of heaven. You know that I take my dreams very seriously, too, because when you're sleeping, you have active thoughts. You really do. I know that you're, like, you could call it subconscious but it's the most active form of thought you have. And as a result, I take my dreams very seriously too. In other words, dreams are not one of those times where it's like, oh, at least I don't need to be a Christian in my dreams. Well, who told you that? Where did that thought come from? As far as I'm concerned, your dreams are where you practice how you live in real life. That's how I I look at it. And so as a result, when I have anything in a dream, I want to apply the same truth. So before I go to bed, I pray that my dreams would be held by God and that he would lead me and even train me in bold decision-making. I have stood in front of tens of thousands of people that hated me in my dreams and proclaimed Jesus. I, have, I raised a dead guy to life in one of my dreams. And I was just as shocked. I didn't know it was a dream. I mean, I raised him to life. And I said, in the name of Jesus, rise. And he did. And I was so shocked buy it. I mean, it was was just as weird as it probably would be in real life. In other words, I look at it as a training ground. I don't look at any time as off time for my active thoughts. My active thoughts are a critical center of forming my pantry or my storehouse. And my storehouse is critical for discerning at the door. And so if I want to be discerning, if I want to be sharp, if I want to be alive and kicking in my spiritual life, these practices become very, very important. They're elementary level practices that most Christians have never exercised. So what it says in 2 Corinthians is we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, there isn't one thought that we are not guarded over that we just have open door policy, you know, open door policy may be great in hospitality concepts, you know, in other words, you have different models for how people ho- have their home, and it's like you can say, hey, you're always welcome here. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But it is in this house, known as the human body. In other words, in this house, you don't just say to every thought out there, you're welcome. You're welcome to traipse into my house and stick your muddy boots on my coffee table anytime you want. no, Actually, we have the exact opposite. The only things allowed in here are that, those things that match with the kingdom of heaven. I scrutinize at the door every single thought to measure it against the truth of Christ. And if it would dare attempt to compromise the truth of Christ, I say, no, you are not welcome. I take it captive to the will of Christ Jesus. So Paul, in speaking to Timothy, he gives a very simple statement. Keep thyself pure. Now, it sounds so easy, right? But how does purity work? A lot of people have these notions of purity, but what I just described to you is the essence of how purity works. Purity means something that is unmixed. It's untainted. So what an, when I was talking about the active thoughts, I'm saying let's keep our active thoughts clean of all that is not like Christ. That is what's called a pure mind. Okay, and it isn't just a, a lot of people think purity is just in the realm of like guy-girl stuff. Mm, well, that is a big part of it, but purity has to do with the cleanliness or the agreement of your thoughts with the kingdom of heaven. It's unmixed. There is nothing in your thoughts that is, is contrary to the kingdom of heaven. So you are maintaining a purity. Now, what will happen is the rest of your body then maintains a purity when your thoughts maintain a purity. If there's a bad image out there that you shouldn't be looking at, but you look at it anyways, you bring it into your active thoughts. What happens is it doesn't just darken your storehouse, but it also begins to penetrate into the rest of your body, into its behaviors. And so as a result, the way the mind goes defines the rest of the body. The appetites are awakened and given power over you when you become subservient in your mind. When you maintain the mind by the power and the grace of Christ, guess what? Then you are able to bring the rest of the body into subjection. The appetites are under as opposed to over. There's nothing wrong with appetites, that's how I started. There's nothing wrong with the fact that you need to sleep. It's just that your sleep should not control you. Your sleep should actually be a servant to God's agenda in your life. But guess what, God loves to give you sleep. It's just that your sleep shouldn't control you. You know those people that sleep all day long? And they just, oh yeah, I'm just so tired. You know that if you're disciplined in your sleep, do you know that you have have more energy in the day? It's weird. But if you're disciplined, if you're undisciplined in your sleep, did you know that you're more tired throughout the day? You think that you're gonna, if you sleep 12 hours, you know that you're more tired during the day? Weird. Doesn't even make sense, right? You're not sharp. Your active mind is actually given over. Your body is becoming sluggish. The fact that you are sensual beings is not a bad thing. You have a nervous system. You're created as men or women. Not a bad thing. It's actually on purpose by God, but that dimension of you should not control you. And the same is true with food. In other words, the fact that you have an appetite for food is not bad. It's just that your appetite should not lead. And so as a result everything that is happening at that door becomes very, very important to what is happening in the active thoughts. If your active thoughts are good, guess what? Your storehouse is going to be renewed. And when your storehouse becomes healthy and strong and built on the word of God, now you're a strong Christian. You really are. That is the definition of a strong Christian right there because what's happening in the rest of their body, in the rest of their lifestyle, is actually strong. All right, key exercises of the week. So with each one of these Glossary of the Gospel messages, I I give a key exercise. And I've said this every time that I probably need to have a summary of all of them. But every single time I forget to do that. So now we're 12 times in and I've forgotten to do it every single time. This is a really interesting exercise that I'm going to give you. It's called Recognizing First Signs. And I've tried to explain this many times to people, and it makes total sense to me, but I'm not sure how much sense it makes to other people. you ought to tell me later if, that made it, if it made any sense. But a lot of people, they, as Christians, you'll see a breakdown where someone will be on fire for Christ, and then the next thing you know, they're cold to Christ. It's like, what happened? Well, it wasn't a immediate thing that happened. It was a process of what took place. There are people that are on fire for Christ that actually fall away from Christ and reject Christ. Now, that's, I mean, totally bizarre in my brain, but what happens? It didn't happen overnight. There are leaders that will preach strongly about the importance of marriage, and then the next thing you know, they have an adulterous relationship. What? What is that? Well, what happened? It didn't happen overnight. You see, there's subtle breakdown points in each of our lives. There's access points, and when you open a door to small things, It leads to bigger. And so one of the things that I always want to teach people is how to recognize the the first things, the first access points. And so in my life, I'm going to see if I can give you an illustration. It's somewhat difficult uh, to know how to do it, but I'll, I'll attempt. In my life, there are certain things that I recognize as what I would call first signs, okay? If I begin to grow cool, towards scripture, that is a signal to me, but it's also not the first signal, okay? In other words, I've recognized in my flow is that there's a signal before me becoming cool towards scripture and sort of like where prayer sounds like work. Those are two things to me, but they're actually second tier, okay? I've begun to recognize that. There's something that leads to that, but when I become cool to scripture and cool and sort of uh, uninterested in prayer, what that can lead to is that I can become warm to the things of the world and I become fascinated in like sports is my classic, okay? It's like, oh, I really would like to know what's going on here. It's just an interesting flow. When you become warm to the things of this earth at first levels, it increases, okay? And you find yourself in subtle compromises where it's like, oh, I don't think this would matter, okay? And you begin a subtle decline. Now, so here's what I'm pointing out. There are certain, there's one thing that I would call a first sign in my life that I've recognized, and it's the first sign that then leads to a coolness towards the things of God, okay? And so what is that? I'm going to call it frustration for me, okay? I have no idea if this is the same for everyone, but when I start to be frustrated, now it immediately triggers, and I'm like, okay, God, what's going on? What, What did I do? And oftentimes there's something in my life that I did or I allowed in, okay? And it could just be a like a an open window. It doesn't have to be a vast thing. It Could be a little open window that's letting in a draft. It's like negative 10 degrees outside, and I'm trying to keep it at 70 in the house. Why is it that I'm feeling this cold draft? What is that? Well, so God will show me. And that's what I'd call a first sign. Now, what if I ignore that open window? What's going to happen? Well, my heating bill is going to go off the charts, right? So there's certain effects and breakdown points that are going to begin if I ignore the initial draft. So for us as Christians, I want you to begin to ask God to explain to you first signs. There are different things that actually lead to greater compromises. And if you were to keep progressing in the the trajectory that I was saying, if I did this and then I did this, and if I keep ignoring, you know that Eric can become a really bad guy <laughs> in not much time. In other words, all of us have the potential to return as a dog to vomit. We really can, which is why God has given us grace and he's given us, you know one of the fruits of the spirit is, is what's called self-control uh, in, in the list of, of nine, right? But another translation would call it temperance and that's because it's a hard word to describe. Temperance is like temperate means it stays the same temperature. Okay, so what temperance is, is when you get too hot towards the world, it goes, "Eh, eh, eh." when you get too cold towards God, it goes, "Eh, eh, eh." it keeps you. And this is actually what the Holy Spirit will do for you. But you have to listen to it. So when that alarm starts to go off, are you listening? And so that's a discipline of the Christian life. And this, of course, works very well with your thought life. Because usually it's through the thoughts that "Eh, eh, eh," we're going to have that thought, that, that alarm even go off. Okay, so first signs, like I said, for me, frustration, when I find myself of a shorter fuse, it's an immediate signal to me. It's like, okay, God, I got the short fuse thing going here. And that's, for me, that's at the very beginning. In other words, I might not even have grown cold towards uh, prayer and, and scriptures seeming, you know, heavy. I, I could just be at a very first step, and that, for me, is my first sign. So oftentimes, I'm like, okay, God, what is it? search me. Try me. Test me. What, what, what is it? Have I allowed something in? Have I, did I do something? God is very faithful to, be in, to gently correct us back on to course. And so that's what I want us to recognize. We have a good, good father. He really is good. And he cares for us. And he desires us to succeed. He is not harsh in the fact that he doesn't want dark things inside of us. He's loving the reason he wants to keep this stuff out is because he wants to keep this vessel, this house known as us, set apart for his glory so that we nothing hinders our intimacy with him. He's a good God. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your message this morning. Lord, I pray that it would sink deep and that we would catch it That we would recognize what this means to us practically and personally. That we would not take it lightly. That our active thoughts matter to you. That what is being presented in the door and knocking on our life needs to be addressed and sniffed and discerned. Lord Jesus, teach us how to keep the door of our mind. For your glory, honor, and praise. We love you. Amen.